0: Idle Australians with James and Asha. Idle Australians with James and Asha. Idle Australians with James and Asha. Let's get the show going, boys. Jimmy, you'll be happy to know that I've reached out to someone about a new theme song.
1: That's great.
0: Yeah. Are you going to tell me who it is? Uh, yeah, Mike, who makes all of my music, uh, who can make anything, I, I reached out to him, and you said you wanted a bit of bit of kick. I sent him "Dirty Hearts" from Dallas Crane. Okay, great. That's the reference. Sure, we can't go wrong. Dallas Crane. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Where are Dallas Crane? I don't know. They were so good. They were. Are they so still good. around? I don't know. I loved them so much.
1: Excellent rock and roll band.
0: They really were. Are you doing okay today? Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm happy to be here. I love doing this. We were together today and we had a bizarre flashback. Like out of nowhere, we were sitting down at a table outside having a chat with somebody and then out of, out of nowhere a beyond a blast from the past came bursting through the doors. The big man. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Carl Sanlens showed up. And the first thing
1: you said to him was, "How are you not dead?" <laughs> It's true, though. It's How the, is it's, he not dead? It's the question. <laughs> I love him. I don't wish him any ill will, but, like, he used to drink more Coca-Cola and smoke more cigarettes and sit around more than anyone I'd ever met. And and uh, he had a lot of redness, like, unexplained redness <laughs> to him. <laughs> That's it his skin tone. Is, yeah. he, is, he, is he a Caucasian? Is he a mixed race? No, no, no. He's reddish. <laughs> and I think he must be used to it because the first thing he said was like, I don't know, mate. <laughs>
0: I could be tomorrow.
1: (laughs) I know he didn't take it personally, did he? He was like, Oh, that's
0: lovely. Nice to see you as well. No, but he must get it a lot. He must get because he was like he's like, Yeah, you're right. I'm doing the opposite of you guys. I drink what I want, I eat what I want.
1: I don't know, I'm still alive either. I wasn't even trying to be funny. I just that was my natural response was how are you not dead? You know what Because I probably haven't seen the guy. I don't know. Maybe in ten years. And the last time I saw him, he didn't look so healthy, um, but he was in good spirits. He had a yeah, good laugh. Did a bit it was of reminiscing. Great. It was a great. And scene. Um, yeah. Uh, and and I think he has come to the point where I think a lot of people get to that point. You know, Keith Richards is a good example. Like, how is he not dead? He's done coke, heroin, drank a lot, smoked a lot, still smokes. Traveled the world, late nights, hasn't looked after himself,
0: soldiering on. I don't know if Kyle Sanderlands quite does the going up to the Swiss health retreat and have your blood filtered thing. Is that what Anthony Kiedis does? I don't know who does it, but that's a. I heard that was a thing. I don't know if it's true, but I heard the Keith a thing. Richards. Yeah, the Keith Richards move. Wow. But <laughs> Kyle, who I mean, who could explain it?
1: Like he, yeah. he lives this life of. Excess and poor diet, probably has never exercised in his entire life, charging long. Yeah. You know, Steve Jobs, vegetarian, did juice fasts. Um, Dead. Exercised, ate very little, didn't smoke, didn't drink. Dead at 56.
0: You saw Kyle and then you asked him the question that I'm pretty sure is the top of everybody's minds when they finally get in a room with him. Like, how are you not dead? And I think he gets asked it enough to go, yeah, well, I don't know either. <laughs> Just carried on. Took a hit of his vape pen and off he went.
1: Yep, yeah, into the distance. Yeah, Disappeared into a puff of smoke. Each to his own. We all have our own unique bio-individuality. Is that a word? Sounds it like now. it. Yeah, I'm Works going with me. it. Yep. And, you know, what works for your body would not work for his and probably vice versa, brother. Oh,
0: no, I I, I couldn't last a day doing what mm. doing what he does. God, I couldn't last a lunchtime. I'm happy to start the show with a bit of joviality because it's a bit of a – we have to go through a slightly grim path to get where we're going today, James. So Sanderlands was a Brisbane boy, as was I, and – 1989 in Brisbane was a very, very strange place. We'd only just, just, just – oh, know, we were kind of were still under the the spell of um, the Joe Bielke-Peterson National Party government. If you think the Nationals are fun in federal government, as a state-leading party, they were – they had a special branch – They were like, any more than three people walking down the street was a march and they would bus cops in from Roma to beat people up in the street who were, it was bad. It was not a fun place.
1: Like mini banana
0: republic fascist state? Something like that, yeah. It was not, it was uncool. 21st of October, 1989, where were you? Is this a trick question? No, 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 where were you, what were you doing? Uh, So, 1989. I'm not asking for an alibi. I'm
1: Why, why, who have you been talking to? (laughs) I'm maybe 11. Yeah. I reckon. So kicking around on my mongoose. Sick. Yeah. Uh, Through the abandoned business parks near our house. Probably that's it. Pulling sick stunts. I couldn't do many stunts. We used to uh, hose down with the, like leftover water pump, the concrete in the industrial parks, so it was really slick. And then we'd ride as fast as we could, brake, and just try and get those back tyres to fishtail out. Yeah, that was our, that was our fun times growing the up time, as a boy.
0: It's a time before TikTok. This fucking sounds rad. Why? What was happening uh, in 1989? I'm a little older than you. So I was uh, alone in my bedroom playing my guitar. Uh, mournfully singing songs in minor keys, wondering why girls didn't like me. What's changed? Not a lot. (laughs) Not a lot's changed. On that night in my sleepy town of Brisbane, my big cow town of Brisbane, one of the most bizarre and brutal murders in the history of the state actually took place. Hang on! Yeah? Are we doing true crime? Is this a true crime podcast? It's not a true crime podcast, but we have to walk through the facts of the situation before we get to the thing I want to talk about.
1: I was very clear before we started
0: doing this series (laughs) that I wasn't going to do true crime podcasts. Hang on a sec. Yeah, um, can you cancel the police commissioner from 1992?
1: With the exception (laughs) of Lindy Chamberlain. If we get Lindy
0: Chamberlain on, I will do a true crime podcast. It's not a true crime podcast today because I don't like true crime podcasts either.
1: We either get Lindy
0: or we get the dingo. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm not interested. All all right. Well, I'll try and get get through this part very quickly, okay? So, Tracy Wigington, she was a a 24-year-old sheet metal worker. And she was a part of a small group of women who'd all met at a bar in the Valley in Brisbane. Now, this is not now Trendy Valley. This is 1989, the fringes of society, go there for beers Valley. Her girlfriend, Lisa Pachinski, and another couple, Kim Jarvis and Tracy War. the four of them were a little, you know, they hung out. They were into the occult. They watched horror movies together. So far, you know, people do that sometimes. People you're into, you're into what you're into. In Tracy's apartment, however, there were... Photographs of cemeteries around Brisbane. There was a stolen gravestone in her uh, apartment. And she had a few interesting hobbies. And according to the police chief, Patrick Glancy, she would often go down to the local butcher and buy blood. Nice to see you, Tracy. What'll it be today? Couple of pints. Can you do that?
1: Can you really do that? Can you buy blood from the butcher? She did.
0: What's she doing with the blood? Well, this next bit might give you a clue as to, as to that. Her girlfriend, Lisa, according to the police chief again, Patrick Glancy, would offer to give Tracy her own blood to feed on. She would get a Stanley knife, she'd cut her vein, and then Wigginton would feed on the blood from that vein. At the trial, Lisa, of this murder, the, Lisa, the girlfriend, said at court that Tracy could not eat solid food. She had to drink blood. Do you sense a bit of a theme here, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, it's slightly disturbing. Tracy was convinced that she was a vampire. As it turned out in the trial later on, she kind of convinced these other girls that, you know, they were all, it was a bit weird. The, the defense for the other girls was like, oh, well, they were a bit kind of manipulated and mind controlled by this person. They hatched a plan to get more blood for Tracy. And uh, on that night, by breaking into another butcher. <laughs> And that's the end of the story. Mm, I don't know like where this is going. No, it's not. It's not great. Uh, on that night, the 21st of October, Edward Bullock, who was a, a 47-year-old father of five, grandfather of two, was on his way home after hanging out with some mates. And, Jimmy, they were drinking and playing darts. Right at my alley. So he'd been having a few cans and playing darts with his mates, and he was walking home when Tracy's green Commodore pulled up. They convinced him to get in the car drove him to the South Brisbane Sailing Club. Tracy then lured him out of the car behind the boat shed and that's where she ended up stabbing him to death. And I won't go into various descriptions because it's, you know, it's not a true crime podcast, but it was pretty gross and and quite vampiric. Tracy left her ATM card at the scene and within 24 hours was arrested. The other girls kind of gave themselves up pretty quickly. She pled guilty... To the murder, so there was no trial. But it was when her accomplices were tried a little while later that all the vampire stuff came out, and the conservative news media in Queensland went absolutely nuts. So they, they kill this guy, yeah, to drink his blood, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the media goes crazy, absolutely crazy. So a couple years later, there was a band, as you know, I played in. I played in bands in Brisbane, and there was one band called Dream Killers. They were a very scary, very frightening, very hairy, very sweaty, very dreadlocked, very tattooed band called Dream Killers. He'd go to Dream Killers shows and Les, the lead singer, would stand on stage looking like the bloke from Future Islands, right? He'd have like a long-sleeved shirt on with a collar and slacks that just launch into these huge, like heaving, frightening metal songs. And over the course of two or three songs, he'd take all his clothes off and he was just like a Yakuza boss, (laughs) tattooed from head to toe, wearing just that like that little Japanese kind of strung hanky over his nads. And that was it. (laughs) And he'd sing the rest of the, the gig just. And these guys wrote a song about what happened. This awful, awful thing that happened in our city really close to where i grew up like within 4 kilometers from where i slept at night or 5 kilometers from where i slept at night this happened across the river from a mum's house you'd go to these gigs they'd play this song like the song's really heavy and like you know me i like a heavy song it starts with a bit of a monologue
1: on February fifteenth, a the
0: Brisbane jury found Jervis, 24, and Lisa Marie Bachinski, 24, guilty of having helped self-proclaimed vampire Tracy Wigington slaughter Baldock so she could drink his blood. Wigington had already pleaded guilty to murder and was jailed for life. Bachinski also was jailed for life. A fourth woman, Tracy War, 23, was acquitted by the jury. The court was told the four women were lesbians who met at a Fortitude Valley nightclub. They drove around city streets until they saw Baldock, who was walking home alone. They lured him to the car and drove him to the deserted South Brisbane Sailing Club, where Wiggington slashed his throat with two knives. You can get what's happening in the, in the car club at this point in time, right? I can... Start to visualise, getting the juice, yes Yeah, it was just incredible that this this song and, and I guess coming from Brisbane And we've talked about this on before I think I have a fairly big chip on my shoulder about it How little Brisbane was recognised in the mainstream media at the time And there were just no songs about Brisbane There was no movies made about Brisbane All the films were made in Sydney All the films were made in Melbourne All the drama that we saw was in Wondon Valley Or it was in, you know, Erinsborough There was nothing about Brisbane and then here was this song from this band. And like we're talking like six, 800 people would see this band at a time. The place, they were fucking huge, man. It was really interesting that this band that was so important to Brisbane, so important to the scene in Brisbane, wrote this song about something that was really horrible and at the top of everyone's minds in Brisbane. And it would just make these moments at their gigs where, you know, you would just go yeah that that's us that's us that's our city it's awful and bad but that's that's our city it made me start to think about how important it is to make art that reflects what's happening in your community at the time I guess
1: when you're going to those shows is like a late teenager you know are they the first time the stories or a story from your neck of the woods is being performed or seen or
0: played or written about absolutely i'd never ever seen anything like that you know the songs were people wrote songs about girlfriends boyfriends dad's mums but nothing that was reflective of the moment you know the mm. the thing that was happening
1: Beyond that, you know, all the TV shows you're consuming as well. Like, yeah, they're from America. They're American stories. And if they're yeah. Australian stories, they're of
0: a generic, made-up, fictional world. These precious things of having our own culture and our own city reflected in the, in the art that was happening around us... And, you know, being in this heaving, sweaty club with, you know, people were still smoking cigarettes and dreadlocks were just newly a thing. And so there was, it was sweat, it was disgusting, it was not COVID-friendly. <laughs> but it was amazing. And what was a protest song for me before that was like, I don't know, Red Gum, I Was Only 19, or US Forces from Midnight Oil or Paul Kelly from Little Things, Big Things Grow. That was what I thought a protest song was. It was fucking great. Yeah.
1: And these things stay with you as well, yeah. you know. And there's something about songs themselves and how they can capture, you know, your your own experience in a very special way because uh, like you if you watch an Australian film, they can do that. It has the ability to do that, but it's not something that can be created in such a personal way in such with such immediacy, you know. A, a mm-hmm. film is Six years in the making, and screenwriters and directors, and yeah, yeah, a, a cast and a crew, and but a song, you know, the the beauty of a song and recording a song that is from your experience, from your town, telling your story is something that anyone can do. And when it when it resonates, it probably has more power than than anything than a you know twenty million dollar film or a, a a three season television show
0: that's why the power is so potent when you can get that right and you're absolutely right i mean i love consuming drama i think there's it's one thing to consume a documentary but drama it's a way that you can really get to know how people interact because it's safe to explore the community and the culture and the way the culture speaks to each other um through fictitious characters and that's that's really important particularly if the writer is of someone in a minority
1: there's a moment when i was at Meredith Music Festival a few years ago, Paul Kelly played a set and he, and he played How to Make Gravy. And, I mean, it's like a four-and-a-half-minute song. But something happens there when we're all together. We all know the lyrics and it's not just about a lost love. It's not some ephemeral, nebulous idea or feeling. When a song touches upon like the uniqueness of a shared experience there's something pretty powerful about that and i remember everyone singing along and i mean not everyone in that in that audience can relate to you know having a loved one in prison but we can all relate to what christmas day in australia is like gathering the relos around people drinking too much who's going to sort out what who's cooking what who do we need to keep away from each other cuz they're going to fight like, they are totally human experiences. They, they're universally human experiences, but there is something distinctly local about it. Something happens in that moment that can only happen from a local artist telling a local story. And whether it's uh, a shared experience or whether it's this sense of connection, whatever's going on when we're all seeing that together is kind of transcendental, you know? It, it's next level.
0: Look, the good news is, Jim, is that Tracy Wigging is out of jail. Is that right? She's out and about. As far as I know, she's still on parole, so she's technically still a prisoner.
1: You're not about to tell me that our guest tonight is a murderer? No,
0: no, 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 because we can't talk to her. Might violate her parole. Yeah, she's technically still on the in the system. Right. But she lives in southeast Queensland. She lives kind of between the Gold Coast and, and Brisbane. Did they really... Like, that song is called Lesbian Vampire Killers. Is that right? No, it's called it's called The Monster. Oh,
1: shit. What have I gotten that written down here? I don't know.
0: The song is called The Monster, but what you've just described was pretty much every front page headline of the Courier Mail for about what a month.
1: What would you have run as your headline? Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Tell it's me. Probably, in the words of Paul Middleich, probably something that you can't
0: print now. <laughs> I mean, is it, it's it's writes itself. Osh. It was so, so brutal and so terrifying and Brisbane was so conservative and so tightly wound that something like this happened was just un believably shocking to people and they just couldn't grapple with it, that it happened in our city. But they also loved it. Oh, I couldn't get enough of it. They loved it. Couldn't get enough of it because it was everything that they wanted to everything they wanted to be upset about. Mm. And you know what's what's wild about this story is that I won't say the person's name because I don't want to you know get sued. <laughs> I was working at a radio station in Brisbane and I was escorting a group of winners down to Sydney. There was about 20 people who'd won a a ticket to what they called the Star Party at the Sydney Opera House, all right? <laughs> so flying all these people on an Ansett flight down the city. You know, I was the, you know, I was the station guy. I had a mini disc recorder with me and I was there to kind of get content and then and send it back. I got on the plane and I remember before I got on the plane, one of the people who worked at the station went, he recognised one of the names of the winners. Like, I'm surprised she didn't change her name. It's like, what do you mean? And he said, right there, she got out of prison just two years ago. Remember that thing that happened on the riverbank? And I went, no. He said, yep. And I sat on the plane across the aisle from her. And she had a look in her eye. You know how sometimes you, like, say, for example, have you ever pulled up at a car accident just after it's happened? Well, I, w- I was just waiting for a mate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just waiting for a mate. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure I have. Yeah. Right. A few people. If you've come around a corner and, and people are just getting out of their cars and something really horrible's happened and you just look at them, there's something in their eye that says, I've just... Been seen something that is, I can't even describe it to you, but there's something that in their eyes that says, I've got something terrifying in my memory that I don't know what to do. That was the look in her eye. She changed her hair colour and things like this, but that's the look she had in her eye. and She was just trying to get on with her life, you know, just trying to, you know, she'd done her time in prison and she'd won a radio competition and she was trying to go down and have fun. But I remember this thing in her eye, this intensity in her eye, like, I've got something awful that I can't tell you behind her eyes.
1: I've been to Star You She'd probably just come out of Star City Casino. <laughs> because that vacant deadens there is what happens to people. After just, they. I've just done the kids' college money. <laughs> I am dead
0: inside. This month's mortgage is going to be hard to find. I have nothing left. So that that wasn't too true crimey, was it? Uh, No, no.
1: I mean, who knows? (laughs) Who knows what it was? Who knows what it was? No, I think it was about telling unique stories specific to a region that encapsulate a shared history.
0: Your stories are valuable. Your stories are valid. Your stories are worth telling, whether you write them or you sing them or you offer them up in interpretive dance. It's important to reflect what's happening in a community through art because, as you were talking about before, you know, when you were singing that Paul Kelly song, people of vastly different backgrounds, upbringings, histories, whatever, can bond over that, oh, yeah, I recognise that thing and makes people feel more bonded as a community. And that's why it's so important to have the community reflected in the art of the community. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not valued. Like, governments don't value it. Well, no. And wasn't that wild the other day when Dr. John O'Sullivan, the, the creator of Wi-Fi, when we asked him what's the best thing to do, he said, man, the people that helped me make that, they were right into art. They were right into the arts. Mm. You know, they fed their subconscious minds that helped them come up with these incredible solutions to technical problems by... You know, digesting art in whatever form it came—musical or visual or whatever—and it's super important. It's so important. It's something that gets
1: very little attention, but gives us so much joy. And it—it it makes sense. Makes sense to invest in the arts. Makes sense economically.
0: Whether that—whether that be high, super highfalutin visual art, or or sweaty, dangerous-looking dreadlocked metal bands from Brisbane. Exactly. More of the latter, I say. Yeah. More of the latter. They were fun moshes. I don't know if you could get away with that kind of thing anymore. I'm too old for that shit. This episode of Idol Australians uh, was produced by Daryl Misson. He did the audio production. Bree Steele did the research, and she tried to chase Les from Dream Killers, but Les couldn't join us tonight. Jimmy sat her suit with a denim shirt, half unbuttoned, while we chatted. I'm in a hoodie that a plumber left behind, but it's really nice, so I wear it. Thanks for listening. You can get us on idleaustralians at gmail.com. Emails have been good, Jim. People are sending emails through. Are they? Yeah, sure are. Are we going to do our first audience request show soon? It's going to be good. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. That's the best thing you can do for us, is tell a friend. We'll see you next time you